Uh, it's been unbelievably crazy the last few weeks. Pretty much rain. Crazy weather-wise? Weather, weather wise weather wise a tongue twister <laughs> rather um, wise yeah our, our house is actually sinking so we moved into a new home uh end of february beginning of march somewhere around there mm -hmm. and it was a brand new home so they just finished building it so the settlement wasn't settled because they weren't really getting much rain so now that we're getting all this rain we're actually noticing we're getting pretty massive sinkholes maybe i'll send you a picture later but we have this sinkhole, actually we have two sinkholes in the, in the backyard, one where the utility boxes are and one right beside the house. So the landscapers came out today to check a, take a look at it and hopefully our house doesn't completely sink. But yeah, you know. what, are the, what are the size of these sinkholes? Is it just more like a divot in the ground or is it something that will swallow up a child? Oh no, if I, I can lay down completely in the sinkhole, um, I, I wouldn't, but I could. So it's probably at least six feet long and probably I would say maybe four feet wide and it's about two feet deep. Wow. Okay. So, that's, yeah. so that's it's something that they have to take a look at. Pretty legit. Fix. Luckily, we have a, a homeowner's warranty for a whole year because it's a brand new house. So I don't have to pay a thing to fix it. So gotcha. it's all on them. Cool. Well, that's, that's a good thing. things with you. Good. I mean, there was the sad news earlier this week here in Philly with the train derailment, um, not too far from where I spend a lot of time um, down in Center City, Philadelphia. It was a little bit north and a little bit east of kind of the area of the city that I spend a lot of the time that I spend uh, down there. Um, and it was just crazy. I mean, a train going 106 miles an hour or whatever they said uh, when yeah. it should have been going like 50 yeah, it's it's yeah, it's very scary stuff. I think eight people passed away. Yeah, a bunch more injured. Hopefully, they figure out what happened. I know they're analyzing the black box and all that stuff. And of course, people are jumping to conclusions. If someone posted something funny, you know, all things considered, right. um, they said, oh, I'm, "I'm so glad that everyone's waking up as a train expert because everyone's, right. of course, like chiming in saying, oh, they should have done this and they shouldn't have done that. And right. Blah, blah, blah. Some people so, are screaming the funding got cut. Some people are saying right. uh, the guy was, you know, wasted when he was driving mm -hmm. the train. Some people are saying, you know, projectile hit the train and it was terrorism or criminal or whatever. Uh, or some people are Who saying knows. that it was just negligent and everything else. But yeah, kind of crazy. I mean, it was, it was wild. Yeah, so I mean, a train accident, definitely a crazy way uh, to start the week. But hey, uh, like I was just telling you before we started recording, we've been doing the podcast now for almost three weeks, or three weeks, three months. Three exactly. months, that's pretty cool. Uh, Our last two, what? Would, how? the Howard and Nathaniel show that was on YouTube, how many episodes did we get? I think it was eight. I think we went eight, eight episodes. Okay. Yeah. So we're so. almost double. We're on episode number 14. Yep. Episode 14 of the We Geeks podcast. And if you guys can, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Tutvid and Howard. I am at Iceflow Studios. And you can also follow the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud and Stitcher. And cool thing about SoundCloud is that if you listen to the podcast on SoundCloud's website, so soundcloud.com slash WeGeeks, you can comment along as we're talking yeah. so if we talk about something really stupid or something really cool you can comment exactly at that point and we're we're able to read it actually someone left a comment last week constructive criticism but mm -hmm. they said that we should cut our introduction a little bit shorter because we talk a little bit too much about our personal lives which I'm kind of conflicted about that because I think a lot of people like to know us as people and we obviously don't want to talk too much about our personal lives because it's boring, but just to kind of catch up and see how things are going with our week, you know, you and I don't really talk much during the week, so it's also a time for that we can catch up with each other. 
Um, well, and and so, and in, in following the uh, the constructive criticism they leveled, we spent five minutes talking about stuff other than the content in the podcast <laughs> as we've kicked yeah. this recording off. So you can check out all the articles that we talk about and all of the newsworthy items that we talk about in the podcast over at tutvid.com slash wegeeks slash episode 14. That's episode 14. And if you are an iTunes listener, and we're getting a pretty nice amount of iTunes listens, head over there, head over to iTunes, I think on your desktop, because for some reason on the mobile app, the podcast app, you can't really leave reviews, but head over to the desktop app and leave us a review, and we're going to read out reviews every single week. And we actually got a new one. We got a new review. Oh, this is exciting. This is SCL. exciting. It's a good one, so it's not you know too exciting. <laughs> I can't wait for really bad ones. It's from STL, I think that's St. Louis, Comic Geek. And he says, finally a show for me. And these guys are informative as well as entertaining. Well, thank you. I've only listened to the first, last two episodes, but I'm, sh- but I'm hooked. And I have some catching up to do. Plus, the show is perfect to listen to when I'm at work. And apparently, he's a designer as well. So thank you. I'm going to assume it's St. Louis Comic Geek. That is super cool. And if he's a comic geek, then, I mean, doesn't the podcast should be perfect for that? Despite the fact that I don't know that we've talked about comics a single time in the entire 14 episodes that we've had the podcast. I don't think we have, and that's uh, a, you know obviously a huge subject around geekism. Actually, while we're on that, we don't have that in our show notes, but just yesterday, I think, the first look came out for the Supergirl TV series from CBS, and I'm a little bit conflicted, and I know people are going to go off on me about this, but let me explain just a little bit. And actually, my wife is going to be releasing a video tomorrow with her thoughts on her YouTube channel. Little Panda so go Express. Check that. Little Panda Express on YouTube. So I'm I'm completely for a female character, a female superhero to kind of bring in a new female dem- demographic to comics and superheroes and things like that. Totally for that, not against it. I, but when watching this first look, and of course, these first looks and these first trailers and things like that, they can be very misleading. So maybe it won't be like this, but it just seems like the backstory is a little bit too, and I know people are going to go off on me it's a little bit too girly and i know they're trying to bring in female demographics. you're just sexist howard i'm not i'm totally <laughs> for this but it's a superhero movie and it just seems like it's it almost feels like like a john green or a hank green movie mixed with 50 shades of gray and not much and just a little bit of superhero stuff in the middle but I don't. Again, I don't. It's a whole TV series, so maybe they're just showing a little bits and pieces of it. Maybe it'll be nicely balanced, but it's hard to say from a first look. But that's the impression I got. Yeah, I haven't seen the first look. I haven't seen any of it. I, quite frankly, I didn't even know there was a Supergirl thing happening until I saw you posted some kind of artwork on your oh, Google yeah. Plus of her like yeah, flying through this, the air uh, and taking a selfie or something. Yeah, and that I has did. nothing to do with the actual oh, show. I okay. mean, I didn't it's know Supergirl, that. but... I was going to say, that's a very interesting... Uh, I didn't know Superman was a, <laughs> a big <laughs> selfie guy either. Does he have the super selfie stick? Maybe he does, yeah. Or he just like floats the camera in front of him. Yeah, in Google+, Plus, I have my Photoshop and design inspiration collection, and I'm posting daily uh, posts and fun drawings and stuff so i figured yesterday the supergirl first look came gotcha. out so i'll post something you know related makes sense well speaking of 
inspirational artwork and photography and stuff. The first thing we're going to talk about today is uh, this really cool photographic project that I stumbled across. A friend of mine actually posted it on Facebook, which is where I initially saw it. Um, and then it just kind of went crazy. I mean, yesterday when I last looked at it, uh, it had like 56,000 shares through Facebook alone and like 15,000 through Twitter. And it was it was going pretty crazy. Uh, but it's essentially, nine. I think it's 98 different raw foods that have been cut into perfect two and a half by two and a half centimeter cubes and arranged in this very square pattern with little, you know, gaps between them, but it's all laid out perfectly. It's like an OCD person's dream. Uh, <laughs> it really is. It, it's, it's really cool looking though. Uh, because there's a lot of foods that you never see in a very cubed format. I mean, for instance, there's cross sections of kiwis and grapefruit, orange, uh, even you know slabs of meat and you know piece of tuna fish and salmon and things like that, and all kinds of different vegetables and all kinds of really really cool stuff. Uh, and they're doing a, a limited edition run of like 50 prints. It's like 500 euros to buy one of them. Um, but I, like I had mentioned to you, Howard, this would be perfect for somebody with like a doctor's office or somebody where you, somewhere where you have a waiting room because I could see this being the kind of thing if you had kids or any or just a, maybe a few adults. You could spend a lot of time standing there looking at this poster trying to identify the little cubes. You know, what's that one or what's that one or, you know, oh, there's a goji berry or there's a dragon fruit or whatever. Um, it's pretty stinking cool. You can uh, check out the photo and, and see the link, obviously, again, over at tutvid.com slash weegeeks slash episode 14. Uh, I'll have a photo of it there, but also the link to the guy's page. And I'll probably actually try to include a link um, to an article that I found about it initially, uh, which has a few other like zoomed shots of the, the kind of the finished composition. And he says it's not done in Photoshop. He says it's totally real. It, it was organized, styled, cut, and photographed the way it was, not individually and organized in post. And if that's the case, pretty darn impressive because it is spot on. I mean, it's perfect. It really is. And I would love to see the behind the scenes and the making of this yeah. sort of thing. I don't think the guy created any sort of behind the scenes or any sort of like a process to show how this was created, but... Like you said, it is an OCD person's dream to see something like this. Now, they're not, what's really cool is they're not all perfectly cubed. I mean, they look cubed when you're looking at it from far away, but if you zoom into some of them, mm. some of them have little notches. Like, I think there's an onion or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there's a mushroom I know that has. It's a mushroom. I think yeah. that's the one I'm thinking of. And it has like a little indent, which really kind of adds to the whole. I guess, flavor of the uh, poster, which is really nice. And it's funny you bring up the whole, is it real, is it not real? Because when I saw it first, I was I was thinking, it doesn't really look real. But then I started to look at it and analyze it and like, yeah, it's definitely real. And of course, there's a story behind it and that sort of thing. But a few days ago or about a week ago, Adobe actually released this article. Actually, it's more of a quiz. It's called Real or Photoshop. And you'll There'll be a link in the show notes. And there's 25 images that Adobe posts. And basically, just like you would guess, you have to guess whether it's a real image or it's been Photoshopped in any way. And for the most part, I mean, you and I got about 20 or 21 mm. correct. It's a really but cool idea, though. I mean, it's a really interesting, easy, quick, very shareable content on Adobe's part. It is, and it's interesting to really look at some of these images and really analyze them and figure out, and even some of them that we really took a look at and say, you know what, that's probably real, or that's probably mm. not real and Photoshopped. It turns out they're, you know, the opposite, and 
these days with the amount of power Photoshop has and the amount of features, and not just Photoshop, any design application, you can really pull off some really interesting mm -hmm. design and work that kind of fools people. Yeah, no, a couple of photos that got me were definitely, I mean, there was the, the, one photo, I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, should I yell spoiler, but I'm not, I'm not going to say anything. There was one photo in particular that I could have sworn I was still right, even though it said I was wrong. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was definitely a, definitely a cool little thing that Adobe did there. Um, but yeah, so check that out. Again, the link will be over tightfoot.com slash wegeeks slash episode 14. I'm going to end up plugging that. I, I've realized that over all the, the past weeks, I wasn't really plugging the website. I'd sort of drop the link sometimes at the beginning of the podcast, and I'm going to try to be a little bit more vigilant about dropping it throughout so people uh, remember and know and can go check out and not only get the audio experience, which might be decent, uh, but also a little bit of the visual experience too on the site. Uh, Actually, anyway, while you're at it, yeah. somebody... Um and I, I probably could bring this up after the show, but I'm going to do it now. Somebody actually tweeted me, and they I guess they tried to go to episode 13 mm -hmm. a day or so after it was released, and, and the and it article wasn't, wasn't yet. I know. So I know. Nathaniel's going to do a better job at making sure that article yeah, is live. I know. I know. I'm always like two <laughs> days late, but I won't be anymore. I promise. Uh, <laughs> I'm putting pressure on you. Yes. Well, no, especially if I'm, I'm pimping it out in the show. Mm. But yeah, anyway, uh, moving on. A really cool piece of tech looks like it's hitting the market pretty soon. I um, hope so. And you know, we, we talked about it, tweeted about it a few days ago when it first got announced, um, and we talked about it a lot in the pre-production of the show. Uh, Lily, a California-based drone company, has generated an incredible amount of buzz, buzz this week. I mean, they got like 1.3 million hits on their YouTube video uh, when they launched a self-piloted drone, which can not only follow you, but you can also quickly set it to perform specific kinds of shots. Like simply, you can have it simply track you. You can have it do like a side panning shot, a shot that loops and circles around you. Uh, and it appears even more types of shots. Uh, the system appears to work by having essentially a simple watch-like band that you would place around your wrist. Uh, and on that band, you set the flight controls and exactly what, what you want the camera to do. Then you grab the drone and you just throw it in the air. Right? This is terrifying. There <laughs> was one example in the video where literally the guy took this drone, which, by the way, kind of looks like Eva from Wally. -E, if if Eva was of a black uh, shade, Eva in the movie is a white shade. I'm okay. trying not to sound okay. racist. <laughs> Um, but the eyes on this Lily drone look like Eva. But anyways, so in the in the video that Lily or the company behind it, the guy takes this drone and literally throws it off a bridge. Yeah, I saw. And it comes it comes back up and it starts like following. I I don't know even you know even though they promise that it follows you and you literally throw it and it starts to to hover. I don't think I can do that. Yeah, I I was thinking the same thing because at one point they drop it into water. And they're like, hey, look, it's yeah. waterproof. And I'm like, yeah, but what about when you're above the ground and you throw it and it goes down, but it doesn't come back up? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I guess it I knows, would... like, based on where that that chip is that's either on your wrist or in your pocket, I guess it only right. drops a certain degree. I, I, found, and then start, uh. I found an older article, I believe it was The Guardian, where they like lent them an older prototype and they were messing around with it in central park and like they were trying to throw it and it would like lift off and then like buzz their hands with the propellers and stuff <laughs> and it wouldn't quite come back because then it's supposed to be as easy as you stick your hand out and it literally lands on your hand right, right. I mean, it's not what it, it does um so it really looks incredible i mean it, it just in the in the notes here uh you, you throw it and it shoots flies at about 25 miles an hour 
crazy cool. Automatically follows and tracks the device that's on your body. Uh, and it keeps the subject in the center of the frame, front or behind. Uh, the onboard camera, this is kind of cool. It can shoot 12 megapixel stills, 1080p HD video at 60 frames per second, and 720 at 120 frames per second uh, as slow motion footage. That 120 frames per second, do you know, I, I wasn't able to find out, is that only slow-mo? Or can you take it as 120 frames and use it at full speed? I mean, I guess you could always speed it up if it's truly 120 frames. You probably could. I'm sure it works similar to the, the slow-mo feature on the uh, iPhone where right. you can kind of select which areas are right. slow. Okay. Or you can probably, I mean, this feature isn't available on the iPhone, but you can probably just get rid of the whole slow-mo thing to begin with. Gotcha. Yeah, that would probably make sense. Uh, and really exciting thing about this is the internal battery allows for 20 minutes of flight per charge, uh, which isn't a huge amount of time, but for a drone is actually pretty good. Uh, and especially considering the price, the pre-order price is 500 bucks, 499 and the the uh, the full price, if you miss out on pre-order, is going to be $999, basically $1,000. Um, Lily also says that currently only one drone can follow you at a time, but they're working on developing a software that would actually allow you to have multiple drones following the same target. That would be, I'm just trying to picture something. You, you grab <laughs> you grab a bunch of lilies and you, just to prank somebody, you throw some so a bunch of these chips in someone's backpack right. and all of a sudden <laughs> this swarm of lily drones starts falling. <laughs> right, just follows you, uh, follows you down the street. Well, I it's kind of cool. At the bottom, I don't know if you scrolled all the way to the bottom of the lily website, lily, mm -hmm. www.lily.camera. Uh, all the way at the bottom, they have like a silhouetted evolution of the photographer, and it's like the photographer with the cape over his head and the big box camera, and then the photographer kind of with the, the lunky, you know, big old box camera in his hands, then with like a little point and shoot, then with the iPhone doing like a selfie, and then with a drone flying above his head. It's so. interesting to see how things are progressing. And of course, you know, there's obviously, like we've spoken about in previous podcasts, there's there are issues with drones, not necessarily the drones themselves, but FAA regulations and things like that. But I do think that once all those regulations are dealt with and people get approval, we're, we're going to probably see these things being used in so many different mm -hmm. ways. You know, if someone's if someone's getting married, for example, you might want to shoot an overhead if they're outside getting married. Yep. And I just noticed my lights are flickering, so there's a storm coming through. So hopefully I don't get cut off. But I can I can just imagine all the different ways these drones are going to be used. Now, of course, with the battery only lasting 20 minutes, that's going to be something that will have to get improved if you are going to be shooting a full wedding or something. Or you're going to have to have like a flock of lilies ready to go. Launch one, charge one, launch another one. Right. But it's interesting and it's really cool that it's coming out in February of 2016. I, I, you know, allegedly coming out in February 2016. Anytime with these crowdfunding campaigns or pre-orders or anything mm -hmm. like that, you really never know. And if you want to hear me rant about a, a Kickstarter campaign, check out last week's podcast, but <laughs> not going to do it this you know week. You funny? I, I actually, I, I was out to lunch with somebody from the American Heart Association today and I was telling her about coin. I did not tell her about the maligned side of coin, but I just told her about the concept of it, and she thought it was super cool. She's like, the concept that, is cool. That is and something there's we actually, need. Yeah, there <laughs> have been, since coin came out with their failed Kickstarter campaign, um, there have been many others. I think there's one called Plastic, which is spelt a little bit strange, and there's another one. There's a bunch of Kickstarter campaigns and crowdfunding campaigns for the exact same thing, which, mm -hmm. but a little bit better. Right. And it's really interesting. I think we do need something like this, but 
so far, none of them have actually shipped yet. Right. So who knows? But back to the drone thing real quick uh, before yep. I let you take it away with the next story. Um, you mentioned about you know a lot of people having these drones. I think there was somebody today, another person arrested for flying a drone onto the White House front lawn. I or saw that, yeah. Yeah, I saw it today while I was at the hospital. I mean, uh, that's an extreme case. The guy so, was just an idiot. You shouldn't. You should yeah. never fly anything around the White House because who knows what it's carrying. But yeah, there are so many regulations that have to be dealt with. Right, yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, so moving on, speaking of cameras, but obviously not uh, an advanced camera like Lily. Not not of the flying type. No, definitely not, and not of the 12 megapixel type. There's one segment on Digital Rev TV, which you can find on YouTube or Petapixel or a bunch of other places that I really love. And it's basically, I believe it's called Cheap Camera Pro Photographer or Pro Photographer Cheap Camera, one of those two, where they grab a pro photographer who's like an actual pro photographer, not someone who claims they shoot photos for a living. And they give them a crappy camera, for lack of a better word. And this week, they actually gave this guy whose name is Gary Tyson. They gave him a bright pink 0.3, so 0.3 megapixel camera watch a camera that's built into a watch well at least since it was bright pink you know it was very very fashionable it was very stylish so they were walking around uh tokyo i believe no it was hong kong Kong, sorry yeah they were walking in hong kong with this vtech smartwatch and he put smartwatch in quotes and this guy had to basically walk around hong kong take photos with this gorgeously pink smartwatch with a 0.3 megapixel camera and it's really interesting to see not necessarily what the photos look like because, you know, getting this out of the way, the photos were okay for a 0.3 megapixel camera on a, on a watch. Not bad photos. Um, it does look like there's a lot of sharpening being done within the software, but, you know, the photos are fine. But watching him actually work, he's a street photographer, so he really gets up in people's faces but not in an aggressive way. He wants to kind of experience what everyone else is experiencing. So one of his rules is that he never makes eye contact with the people because they don't want them breaking their eye contact with whoever they're talking to or whatever they're doing. They want, or I guess Gary wants these subjects in a very natural state, which is really interesting. And I think it really comes off in the photos, even these 0.3 megapixel photos, you can really see the emotion in people's faces and how they're trying to struggle with whatever they're doing. It's a really interesting concept. So if you don't really watch this just to see what the photos look like, watch it to see how he interacts with people and how he takes the photos. It's I think you'll learn a lot if you're looking to do photography, especially street photography. Yeah, and street photography can be pretty difficult. I mean, you can get yourself into some serious situations, uh, especially depending on the neighborhood you're in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't really, I wasn't a huge fan of the photos. I didn't even really like the composition of them. Um, but I also do weigh that against the fact that he was shooting photos from essentially a camera, uh, strapped to his wrist. Um, obviously the quality, I'm not going to hold it against him, the qu- the actual quality of the photos. Cause like you said, it's, it's basically garbage. I mean, 0.3 megapixel on an old watch that was probably never really meant to shoot photos anyway. Um, I, honestly, the photos to me, they looked like, um, the, that old oil paint filter. Yes. I, was, I, was, I thought that too, because I think there's just so much sharpening being done. It kind of swirls things around a little bit. Right. Um, but when you're dealing with a 0.3 megapixel photo, I think you don't have a choice in order right. to, sh- you have to sharpen There's them. There's not much to swirl around. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, no, definitely, like you said, interesting just to see how he works with the people. Um, and it is a good series by Digital Rev TV. Yeah, pro photographer, cheap camera, or, or whatever. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, and, and, and next interesting story is actually what I titled Hyperlapse to compete with Hyperlapse. So Microsoft, I believe it was today or yesterday, released an app called Hyperlapse, which directly competes against Instagram's Hyperlapse, which you might have used. It's a standalone version. It's not built into Instagram, but it's you know a separate application. So Microsoft released their version of Hyperlapse, which I believe they actually demoed before Instagram came out with theirs. So they're kind of going back and forth. And basically what it allows you to do is take your smartphone, and in this case, Android or Windows mobile phone, no iOS yet. So maybe they're just, they're sticking it to the Apple users yeah. for now. I'm sure it'll come out eventually because there's so much demand for it, but it basically allows you to shoot video. So let's say you're doing a time-lapse of you walking through the park, a 20-minute time-lapse. And what it does through its algorithms is it takes that video, it speeds it up pretty heavily. You can choose like four times or eight times or two times, whatever it is, and it smooths it out. But what's really cool is it doesn't just kind of do like some garbage motion shake reduction like you see in iMovie or those other applications. Right. It ha This crazy algorithm actually makes it look like Actually, I guess it makes it look like a drone. It's kind of gliding through the park or wherever you are shooting. And it actually does an amazing job. I haven't used it yet because it's not available on iOS, but I have used Instagram's hyperlapse and it's basically the same concept. It's really incredible what it what it's able to do. They have two versions. They have the mobile version, which basically just smooths out and speeds up the video, but they also have a pro version that's only available on desktop PCs. I don't think it's available on the Mac, just Windows computers. And the pro version is only available on the computers because of the processing power it requires. Because what it does, in addition to speeding up and smoothing the videos, it also looks for frames that are misaligned and frames that really don't need to be there. And it either removes the frames or it lines it up with the previous and the next frame. So you have an unbelievably smooth result. Yeah, I know Instagram's Hyperlapse app was supposed to do a little bit of that as far as the smoothie was, smoothing was concerned. But it definitely, I mean, I've shot a few Hyperlapses with it. And it, I mean, it definitely kind of comes out a little herky-jerky. Mm -hmm. um, whereas this, I mean, they, they show the videos side by side. Uh, with Instagram's hyperlapse versus this hyperlapse, uh, at least in the article that I saw, I, I believe it was Gizmodo, um, and it's pretty, pretty fantastic. I mean, I would say um, I forget what the effect in After Effects is called, like warp, uh, warp something, warp stabilize or something like that. Um, like that. And that kind of gives you almost this like shaky frame effect. I mean, it can it can work, and you can fudge it and get away with it. Um, but this Microsoft Hyperlapse app really looks pretty remarkable. I mean, it's a smaller little video file or GIF or whatever uh, it was that they had there in the article. Uh, but it really looked pretty good. It, did, it definitely looked pretty stinking smooth. That would be really, really cool to, to see more about it. And it looks like yeah, it has all those speed adjustment options, like you said, you know, two times, four times, six times. Who knows how fast it goes. Um and yeah, I would love to see it on the iOS devices as well. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a competition thing with Instagram. I don't know. I mean, I know you would be competing with Instagram, but Instagram is a Facebook company, not a mm -hmm. 
a Windows company or not an Apple company, excuse me. Um, so I don't I don't really know why that would be there unless Instagram has some kind of agreement with Apple right now. But I don't see the I mean the Hyperlapse app was sort of like a flash in the pan kind of thing. I don't I don't know. I don't really see that many people using it anymore. It was sort of the first week that it came out. A bunch of people used it and then it sort of sort of petered out. Yeah, and I think it'll probably be the same thing with this other Hyperlapse app. Someone like myself, I'll probably try it out. I'll probably upload a few videos to show how well it or how poorly, I don't know, how it performs. Um, the only times I've actually used it in any practical sense is when I'm on an airplane, either taking off or landing. I kind of find it cool to show that progress and smooth it out a little bit. But practically wise, I don't see myself using it very often, but I could definitely see why some people would want to use it. It's just probably not for me. And I'm sure it will come to iOS at some point, but there's probably maybe a lack of developers over at Microsoft who are developing for iOS. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just easier to do it. Obviously for Windows Mobile, they have to release it. But right. yeah, maybe it. it's just easier it. to do it on Android. I yeah, don't know. Just do it right the first time. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think I would use it uh, you know, for like in the field tutorials, if I'm doing stuff on photography, uh, to have that clip, you know, getting all the gear set up, broom, you know, fly through it with a hyperlapse speed. Um, but I mean, it would be just as easy to either set the intervalometer on my camera to fire off, you know, a bunch of frames of images, or to just set the camera to shoot video and then just speed it up in post. So either one of those things would probably be easier and seamlessly fit into my workflow. I mean, if I'm shooting that kind of video on my phone, I better be editing the video on my phone as well, because otherwise, I need to upload it to Dropbox or somehow email it to myself or WeTransfer or whatever. Um, and I, I don't know, it would just kind of be a pain in the neck. And, and, and if I just shoot regular video anyway, I can always speed it up, but I have the option of slowing it down as well. That's true. Yeah, for someone like you who's actually outdoors doing photography and doing time lapses, I mean, you've done a few time lapses before. Well, I mean, no, I'm just even, even think about it in terms of like a video blogger. You know, there's so many sequences right. you could shoot um, that would be useful, but I mean, wouldn't it be just as easy to take like your Canon T5i or your 6D or, you know, your, your Nikon D750 um, and shoot it or do 650, whatever, and shoot it with, you know, that uh, because it's going to fit right. You're going to have the same video files that you're shooting the rest of your project with and boom, you just speed it up. I don't know. I mean, like you said, I, I definitely think this will be a little bit more of a flash in the pan kind of thing and people who are really interested in the hyperlapse. I mean, the, the the value in the Windows one, I see at least, the value is in the rather impressive image stabilization. That's right. where I see the value. I mean, it like you said, it looks, it's very, not quite drone-like, maybe more like a, a, an imperfect, non-professional using like a steady cam. Hmm. <laughs> that's, that's how I would describe it. But it's pretty stinking good. I mean, and and you compare it to something that doesn't have the stabilization, really, really impressive. So, yeah, I mean, that's just... That, those are my thoughts on that. Yeah, totally. And speaking of things that are pretty stinking good, there was also a new service that came out this week by Wolfram, which does a lot of search-based things, and it's called Image Identify, and you can check it out at imageidentify.com. And basically what this is, kind of think of, I'm sure you're all familiar with Google Images. You go to Google Images.google. Yeah, once in a while. Uh, you go to images.google.com and you, you have the ability of dragging in an image and Google will basically search for that image on the web. But this kind of takes that to a whole new level. It actually tries to identify the image that you're dragging in. So what I've done, I went to imageidentify.com and I dragged in a few photos and one of them was a picture of a dog 
and I figured, okay, it'll probably tell me this is a dog. But it actually told me, I was actually surprised, it told me it was a miniature pincher. So it, it identified the exact breed. Now, this thing isn't perfect. Some of the images that I did drag in, it had absolutely no idea what it was. But for things like houses, it was able to identify a house. Or I think I used a bunch of stock photography. I used a bridge. I mean, I think you did it as well, used mm, the bridge. Yeah. So if you're out in the... Out in, this would have been perfect a few years ago. My wife and I went to London and Paris and we took photos of absolutely everything. And of course, when we got home, we, re we looked at the photos and we're like, uh, I don't know where this is. So with something like this, I would be able to drag this right into this website and hopefully it would tell me what this is. You know, this is the, the Eiffel Tower. This is Big Ben. I mean, if you don't know what the Eiffel Tower is, you need to get outside. But yeah. <laughs> If you do take pictures of things, you're not exactly sure what they are. This service is supposed to identify. Of course, it's brand new. So it says, I believe, that it can identify up to 10,000 objects. And I'm sure it's going to expand over time. But if something like this could be integrated with Google Images, we can, be, we can see a much better search engine, um, you know, whether it's through Google or through Wolfram. Yeah, I mean, I just imagine it. Uh, it being something where it, you or I might be looking for something specific and somebody has that image that we're looking for, but they don't know that they have that image. But this Wolfram system does know because it's properly identifying whatever this object is, you know, that we're looking for. So, of course, in, in Google Images, boom, it brings that up. Um, yeah, I mean, it was really, really accurate. I tried a, a few different images. I tried like a, a Jeep, for a military Jeep, and it identified it as like a military vehicle, which is pretty crazy. A uh, picture of the tower London uh, or the tower bridge in London, excuse me. I mean, it only identified it as a bridge, but it still nailed the bridge factor. I even dragged in a picture of my brother and it correctly identified him as an idiot. So it's in <laughs> incredibly, incredibly accurate. Um, but it is really cool. And basically you drag, they have like example photos that are like a little hedgehog and other stuff and you can drag, it's like a drag and drop kind of thing, right? I mean, right now you load up yep. the thing, you can drag a photo right out of your hard drive, right out of your OS finder, Adobe bridge, uh, the, the windows search, whatever, um, and drop it right on this box. And it kind of does its little load thing for a second or two and boom spits out what it thinks it is and they have i don't know if you clicked on it but they have the little how it works uh section of the site again this is imageidentify.com um, they have a link to sort of how it works and they sort of go through and explain how with these images it sort of you know codes in all right that's an anteater or an aardvark or whatever and you know then it drops that bit of text so when somebody comes in searches for hey i need to find an image of an aardvark boom it can it can link the word aardvark to that image, you know, looking, looking from going from word aardvark to image of aardvark and also going from image of aardvark back to the word aardvark, if that makes any sense at all. It, uh, it sort of does. Yeah, it's crazy where these sorts of uh, technology and services are going. I mean, really, if you start to think about artificial intelligence as a whole, we might see this sort of thing start to be implemented in like, you know, the Amazon just came out with that, uh, what was it called? Some thing that sits on your desk and you can speak to it, but they might have these little robots in the future, maybe, you know, a few years from now that are actually able to look and identify things in your room. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you would use it practically for, but it's crazy to see how well these services are and how fast things are progressing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, uh, 
moving away from some of that, I stumbled across this interesting article this week that I just thought we had to talk about, uh, super relevant to anyone who's really a designer and just something that I thought would be interesting and always kind of controversial type stuff. Uh, the article is entitled ways to design a new logo on a budget. Uh, and whenever you see something like this, you're always sort of walking that line between, trying to make sure that you're not just poo-pooing the idea of somebody saving money because you're a designer and you're trying to make money and giving honest uh, feedback and advice to a potential client or a young business owner or the owner of a young business. Um, so depending on what your idea of a budget is, you could be setting yourself up to get something incredible. You could be setting yourself up to get something absolutely awful. I know one of the things that this article suggests is you know going out and finding a college intern um, and you know, or, or you know, somebody who you know doesn't really have a ton of experience, and because of that, they'd be willing to work with you. Um, and while that could work, and sometimes does work, um, most of the time you're not really going to be getting great stuff. Um, you know, a lot of times when you, I'll put it this way: when you're looking to save money on something as important as a logo, you usually end up losing all the money that you were going to spend and getting not really much in return. Um, so, you know, when it's something like your logo, something that's going to be conveying the look and the feel and the the brand, if you will, well, not really the brand. It, it, the when it's it's going to be the outward marker of the brand of your company. Um, it's really important to get it right. And part of the problem with a lot of young designers and, and some of these kids, let's say, out of college is it's very easy and very tempting to jump on trends and trendy designs. I remember if, you, if I were to pull up and share some of my old logo designs, everything had a gloss and sort of like this pillowy <laughs> yep. drop shadow. Not necessarily yep, in your face drop shadow. It was still subtle, but it was like this soft – like glowing drop shadow and it was you know i remember thinking I, I remember what i was thinking when i was doing it thinking you know everything looks better with a gloss and a drop shadow everything and everything does not look better with a gloss and a drop shadow it doesn't and we've spoken about cheap logo design and things like that in the past we've spoken about fiverr which i yep. wouldn't recommend um but also there's something called squarespace logo they used to be a sponsor of ours so this is not sponsored but mm -hmm. squarespace.com slash logo i believe and if you're looking of course it depends on what you're looking for if you, but if you're looking for a very basic starting logo i mean of course my logo for iceflow studios was incredibly basic back in the day and then i tried to get fancy with it and i tried to you know add a bunch of different things so it, it kind of evolved but if you're looking for something to start out with this will basically allow you to kind of drag and drop and create your logo in right. a very minimalistic flat way but yeah like nathaniel said i think one of the best ways to get a logo if you're just starting out you want to make sure that you have control over that logo and it's original is pair up with somebody who's maybe in school in graphic design school or just got out of graphic design school and they're looking to build up their portfolio mm. They can probably, hopefully, if they're trained enough, they can probably make you something decent. And, you know, if you're just getting a first logo, don't expect the world. Don't expect this magical logo that's going to change your life and change your company. Look at every single company in the world. Look at Apple. Look at Microsoft. They all started with a very weird looking. Yeah, definitely look at Apple. They started with this very weird looking logo. I think it was like, it almost looked like a, a British crest. 
it didn't really look like their logo now. And even the logo now, the Apple with the bite out of it, has evolved so much over the last few years mm. or last few decades. So, you know, start with something simple. Start. It may not look very good, but run with it, build your brand around it. And then as you start building up your company, then you can start investing in something a little bit better. Right. Yeah. I mean, and they also, I mean, not only does the article talk about, you know, hiring somebody out of college or a design student uh, or an intern or something, they list uh, the logo, the logo maker, which is an app for an Android phone, which is just $3. They said the logo maker allows the user to create all sorts of logos and fun graphics in just minutes, either completely from scratch with your own idea or with its pre-made templates. That just sounds like a nightmare. I don't know about you. Uh-huh. That sounds like a disaster. It sure uh, does. There's a site called LogoNerds.com, which designs attractive logos for a fraction of the cost. Uh, sounds interesting. Definitely something that would be worth checking out. Uh, and then the site Quality Sign Designer. There also are other sites that are like design contest type sites where you'll pay a little bit of money uh, to have a logo made that way. Um, but I would... I would venture so far as to say something that's really important is to look at other successful logos. Um, I actually have an article on my site about logo design inspiration, uh, some of the best websites for logo design inspiration, and there's just loads of amazing and beautiful and awesome logos. Um, And if you just spend some time looking at them, it maybe will help you be able to identify if your logo is going in the right direction as far as something that looks like a logo should. Um, and I don't know how else to describe it. There's a lot of businesses, a lot of smaller startups uh, who aren't very design oriented, um, who start to have that very infographic page, or I'm sorry, not infographic, infomercial type page. You know that page I'm talking about, Howard, where you go and it's like the audio starts playing and it's like, yep. welcome. We're gonna it drives you. me crazy. Right, exactly. Um, so, you know, it, it, so you start to have this very, I don't know how to describe it, just a very cheap look, a, a, a look that doesn't convey any sense of confidence. Um, so definitely, I would say one of the best ways to design a new logo on a budget is think about the future and think about the money that you would spend and begin by training yourself to have a better aesthetic so you can identify good work when you see it. That way, you're not going to go out and pay somebody any kind of money to do bad work because that would—I mean—you might as well take the money and flush it down the toilet. Yeah, and we're in a really interesting spot right now. We're we're in this kind of minimalistic world mm-hmm. where you know a few years ago logos had to be this these big extravagant things, but now if your logo is if your logo has a drop shadow, people are like, oh, it's not flat. I don't want it. It's ugly. But so. You know, start very, like I think I said this already, but start very simple. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be extravagant. Don't be Nathaniel of 10 years ago. Don't add drop shadows and bevels and Absolutely. glosses. There's, there's a video I'm working on. I'm not going to say any details about it. But basically the concept is just because you can doesn't mean you should. So you have all these features in Photoshop. And just bevels. and just because you did doesn't mean you should continue to do. <laughs> That's very true. So, yeah, I, I, I sh- I'm rambling, but start very simple. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. No, I agree. Uh, a simple logo mark with a great brand behind it will last for literally centuries. It really will. Yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, on to other new things. This ju- this is pretty much brand new. Facebook has introduced something called Instant Articles, uh, which is a fast new way to load and read. It's really designed for longer form articles and long form content 
Um, and it looks like it's specifically going to at least be for uh, legitimate, and I'm using air quotes, legitimate uh, editorial companies or legit legitimate editorials. Um, you know, companies like National Geographic and, and places like that. Um, basically, we'll be able to have these articles online. That Facebook's calling them instant articles. Essentially. Um, Really, really neat if you get the chance to demo it. It's only on iOS devices right now um, through the Facebook app. You would pull up the article, and it's not every article. This isn't something that you know has changed in the Facebook app where every article now is this instant article, um, but they're rolling it out across multiple uh, publications. But essentially, I mean, the article, it loads so fast, and it's, it's distraction-free. It's just text over the background. Uh, the images load so fast. It's great. The video is like automatically playing as you're scrolling through, uh, but it doesn't start playing until you get to it. So it's not like you load it up and all of a sudden you hear six different videos playing and it's just confusion and craziness. Uh, you know, like you can drop maps in there and you pinch and zoom and rotate and everything that you would expect from a map. It's a very fast, very responsive, very edge-to-edge -edge experience uh, on the mobile device for long-term content. I mean, you think about what's really popular now, uh, a lot of what's popular, these internet memes, you know, these quick short videos, all of this very, very short form content um, because it's easy to look at. It's easy to look at on the, on the mobile device. The mobile devices are over 50% of our internet or about, I should say, about 50% of the internet that we're consuming. We're consuming via our mobile devices. So when you have content that's very easy to look at on a mobile device, of course, that's going to be the stuff that gets looked at, a la, you know, simple image memes, right, a la the, the Vine video that goes viral, um, all that kind of stuff. So this is essentially, it looks like Facebook's attempt to really attack and be able to um, display this longer form content, these these longer articles online in a way that's engaging, in a way that's enjoyable, in a way that's a little bit more immersive. Uh, and easier to handle and faster, faster. I, I can't emphasize the speed. Speed kills, and it's it's really pretty cool. Instantarticles.fb.com. Uh, you can check that out, or you can just go over to tutvid.com slash wegeeks slash episode 14, and you can see all this stuff there and, and click on the links. Um, but it's really cool. Um, and before I let you say anything, Howard, uh, just a quick quote from the Facebook media blog. They say, today we're excited to introduce Instant Articles, a new product for publishers to create fast interactive articles on Facebook. As more people get their news on mobile devices, we want to make the experience faster and richer on Facebook. People share a lot of articles on Facebook, particularly on our mobile app. To date, however, these stories take an average of eight seconds to load. That's crazy. Uh, that's not in the in the quote. Uh, by far the slowest single content type on Facebook. Instant articles makes the reading experience as much as ten times faster than standard mobile web articles. Unquote. Crazy. Yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with Facebook um, for various reasons, but I did check this instant articles. I agree, articles. by the way. Mm, maybe I'll get into a bit in a few minutes, but um, I did check out this instant articles thing, and it's not a separate iOS app, which I immediately jumped to that conclusion because every time Facebook releases a new feature, they tend to release it as a new app. They have messages as an app. They have a selfie app, apparently. They have a bunch of different apps, um, but... It's built into the current update of the iOS app. And if you search, when you're in the app, if you search Facebook or just instant articles, you'll be taken to the official instant articles Facebook page where you can 
view these articles. And like you said, Nathaniel, it's crazy fast. Like you tap on an article and it boom, it's there. And not just the article, not just the copy, but the video and the photos. And it's all interactive. So if you're scrolling down the page and you get to a photo, you can pinch and zoom and the copy around it doesn't really get affected. It's really cool. And it's incredibly fast. And I see this as something that I would probably use for my Iceflow Studios Facebook page, mm. especially for my tutorials. Uh, right now, it's you have to be you have to apply and be approved to become one of these article publishers because I think and it seems like there's some sort of monetization mm -hmm. with yeah. it. Well, um, I from what I from yep. what I saw and this was according, I believe it was to Facebook's video. If you have a current network that you're monetized through you should be able to keep that. Now, I don't know how that would clash with something like Google because uh -huh. obviously YouTube and Facebook video are waging serious war and I don't even think the peak of the battle has arrived yet. Um, and, and Google sure as heck knows that and Facebook sure as heck knows that. So I don't know how well they're going to play together. Um, maybe for the good of the user, but that never happens, right? No, of course not. <laughs> it's, it's never for the good of the user. Um, so... I don't know how it will work. I think I'm going to apply for it and just try, you know, mm. I don't know. I'm not, you know, I don't have a tiny blog online. I don't, I'm not just some, you know, kid or some dude saying like, Hey, I want to write articles about bottled water or whatever. Um, you know, so I don't know. It'd be interesting to see, but I think it would definitely be super cool for tutorials and definitely something that would be uh, useful. I, I mean, just imagine if you're doing a tutorial in Photoshop on your laptop or on your desktop and you can have your phone there as your little tutorial holder, right? You know how you're, you're normally doing Photoshop tutorials. You're kind of clicking back and forth. You know, I got to get back to my window and see what he's doing. You know, all right, back to Photoshop. Let me try to do what he's doing. All right, back to my, you know, back to the web browser window to see what he's doing and so on. On and so forth so if you can pull up your iphone or your ipad or whatever and just boom mount it there in front of your computer and have your information coming through that way um that'd be awesome it would be cool and you know facebook has confirmed at f8 this recent f8 that they're experimenting with monetization they didn't give any details they just said they're experimenting they're trying to figure it out uh so we're likely to see monetization at some point, whether it's through instant articles or oh, yeah. videos yeah. or who knows. I mean, it's definitely going to be there, but it'll be interesting to see once Facebook does roll out uh, monetization, will they require people to remove monetization in the instant articles or will they allow you to use Google ads or something like that? Because like you said, there's definitely a war going on between Google and YouTube. And what I'm really interested between to see Facebook, is right, Facebook and YouTube, sorry, uh, Facebook and YouTube, um, what I'm really interested to see is once Facebook rolls out monetization in video, what their split is going to be. Because yeah. for example, if let's say, let's say for example, it's 70, 30, 70 for the creator, 30 for Facebook. I wonder if YouTube and Google is going to respond to that because right now all YouTube partners, it's a 55, 45 split, 55 going to the creator, 45 going to YouTube and Google. And of course, if you're with a multi-channel network, it's even lower than that. So will Google do the right thing and increase the split? I'm going to say probably not, but it will be very interesting to see if they do retaliate with that. With everything Facebook's doing from the increase in the, the mobile stuff with their apps, with the social network and the personality that Facebook has developed, 
uh, with the way they're tweaking the search engine, with the way they have their business pages incorporated into just the everyday Facebook life, um, with the way they're moving into the video game, with the way they've picked up Instagram and the, the still image uh, game they dominate now. Um, do you think Facebook could dethrone Google as the almighty tech company uh, out there on in Silicon Valley? Uh, it almost begs I, a question, doesn't it? I think there's a possibility, but I, th- I do think Google will do everything they possibly can to make sure that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to my love-hate relationship with Facebook, once Facebook does release monetization on videos, I will definitely, definitely be uploading my videos natively to Facebook and running ads on those. But there's so much about Facebook that I don't agree with, especially their edge rank or page rank or whatever the, the mm. algorithm is yeah. called that determines what shows up on people's feeds and what doesn't. And just to rant a little bit, their whole post, their whole boosting post thing is completely flawed. So basically, on my Facebook page now, I have 50... What do I, 50 some odd thousand, I think just hit 50,000 Facebook fans. And I'd be lucky, I'm looking through my posts right now, I'd be lucky if my posts reach 500 people. And I know for a fact that I've never bought Facebook likes, I've never used bots. So all those people clicked, specifically clicked on the like button on my Facebook page because they want to follow me. Now, granted, Some of those people may not be interested in Facebook anymore. Some of them may have passed away. Some of them just may not check my page very often. I hope not many of them have died. Well, I hope not many of them. I'm sure a few of them. (laughs) I'm I'm just saying there'll be 49,500 that have died if if 500 are seeing your post. But uh, but I think more to your point, that's 1% of the people that have liked your page. So – Where's the value in attracting people to like your Facebook page? I Just to kind of echo you a little bit, I mean, I still put stuff up on my Tutvid Facebook page. My personal photography Facebook page, uh, the last time I uploaded something to that was December 18th or something of last year, December 18th, 2014. I was, I was spending a little bit of money attracting likes and just trying to drum up general attention over there, but it just got to the point where as soon as you stop paying – I mean the, the the interaction on your 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 content goes way down. It's like eighty people see your stuff. I've got three thousand people who like my uh, photography page. Why are only eighty to a hundred people seeing something? You know, unless you put something up that gains traction right away, very quickly. And I understand content is king, absolutely, and it should be king. Um, but it's kind of crazy. I mean, because you'll you'll put good stuff up, and if it doesn't get seen right away, it just it disappears. Yeah, and here's here's where it gets even worse is, you know, I'm totally open to spending money in order to get my content out there. I don't like the fact that Facebook limits how many people can see your new posts because because they want people to pay to boost their posts. But, you know, I've kind of accepted that and I'm totally willing to do it. Here's what bothers me. Today, actually, I boosted one of my posts and I clicked on the boost post feature mm-hmm. and the thing came up. I started to build an audience that was, you know, the United States, Canada, United Kingdom, people who like Photoshop and graphic design, this, that, and the other thing, age ranges, this, the whole shebang. And according to Facebook, that post is estimated or was estimated to reach 70,000 or 90,000 to 130,000 people for I think like $50 or something like that, which sounds great. I would love if my posts reached that much. 
the the fifty dollars was just expired or just I you know I I spent fifty dollars mm-hmm. and the paid reach was three thousand two hundred people. Yeah. Now that doesn't sound like ninety thousand people that Facebook promised me. Now of course it's an estimate. But when you're talking about the difference between 3,000 and 90,000 people, the right. system is seriously flawed. And to me, that sounds criminal. Yeah, that, I mean, it sounds pretty uh, unethical. It would be like it saying, does. I'm going really to deliver you a website. Oh, uh, see, you misunderstood. By website, I meant I was going to write a tweet that described your company accurately and post it online. Yep. You know, well, one, one's a website. The other is quite a far cry from a website but anyway enough ranting about facebook the instant articles feature does look like uh, something that's pretty good i do hope we'll sort out this algorithm thing content creators and page owners everywhere are complaining about it. i mean hootsuite had an article basically saying look you just need to set up groups groups get you know the p- people see the stuff when you post it in a group um but you know you got to build a, a brand new audience essentially, and and you know kind of start over in a group. And how long is that going to last? You know this is this honestly the lesson out of this is if you're starting a small business, focus more on your newsletter that you control the subscribers and you control the flow of email rather than focusing on your Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, Google Plus, any of those followings. They're all great to have, but. The personal email list where you know that that email is going to everyone's inbox, far, far, far more valuable uh, from a business standpoint. So It really is. When you control your distribution, you're going to see much bigger, bigger results. You know, of course, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube can do what they want. It's completely up to them. Mm-hmm. But when you're dealing with an email list, you know when you press send, it's going to be delivered to every single people every single person that opted into that email list. Yeah, and at the very least, they're going to see the title and they'll see your name right. associated with it. So, you know, you have everyone on the list. There's a little bit of that brand uh, brand and name association, all that that you're going to have going on. And then the people that click through, hey, that's even better. Uh, yeah, it gives, it, yeah, it gives the viewers a choice whether or not to click through. It doesn't give Facebook or YouTube the option to deliver it or not. Yes, exactly. So, closing up the show, that was uh, that's all the articles and news that we have. We do have a question. We have one question. Again, if you do want to submit questions to our podcast, hey, what do you do? Just tweet at us. Okay. Um, at Iceful Studios or at Tutvid using the hashtag WeGeeks, and we will do our best to answer. And every week, we do give away a gift card. We are dropping it down to a $10 gift card because our support on Patreon and our sponsorship is kind of slow right now. But we still do want to give back because we love you guys. We love you, your listeners and all that fun stuff. Love, so, all, love all the people. All the people. So $10 gift card. Obviously, if there's only one question this week, it's going to go to this guy. And it's at or... Callum on Twitter and he says I was wondering when submitting a portfolio or piece of work how much of the development work should I add to it and just to start off with this question I think I've answered some I've, we've talked about something like this in one of the previous podcasts in my opinion add all the development work or as much of it as of course you don't want to and, explode and, and, your and by development work you sort of mean the behind the scenes making of process right yes right. definitely I think that's what he's talking about yeah, yeah. That, that's what I'm going to answer um as an employer or as someone who might be hiring somebody, if someone sends me a piece of artwork with just the piece of artwork, it might look great, but 
it really doesn't really tell a story. But if someone else sends a piece of artwork that might be a little bit less qualified, but they start they show the sketch and they show the planning process, they show the shading, they show the the lines and all the other things, and they show exactly how they got to that point. I'm gonna choose that person because I I love to see that sort of stuff, and it really shows how they got to that point, mm. which I think is so valuable. So if you're building a portfolio, show all the steps. Yeah, I mean, I think it shows personality and the web is becoming more and more personal by the day. So that's number one. Uh, it shows that not not only can you deliver something, but it shows that you know what you're doing. And I think that's pretty important. And it also just adds another level of genuineness to your work. Someone who steals your work can't post photos of themselves posing with the finished work, uh, can't post photos of themselves working on something, um, and, and most likely is not going to post an entire behind-the-scenes process. You know, hey, here are my sketches, here's my this, here's my that, um, and all of that. So if you have that development behind-the-scenes making of content, uh, post it. If you don't have it, make it and post it. Uh, because yeah, you'll get more jobs from it and you'll have great bloggable material It'll be good for your SEO, for your website. Uh -huh. It'll, it'll give you content to put out there. And, you know, I know as, as visual or creative people, a lot of times writing doesn't come to all of us naturally, uh, or as naturally I should say. Um, but it is really important to get content out there. It's going to help your website. It's going to help you boost your rankings and ratings and ravings and people that are coming to your site and, and looking to spend money and hire you. Uh, so, yeah, I would say if absolutely show as – I mean pretty much all the development work, all the certainly all the good development work you have, um, even if it's something as simple as like here's beginning, middle, end of the project, boom, yep. here's the finished product, something like that. Uh, is good if you can give a little write up on it that's great remember if if you can deliver information and help even to other designers those designers will come and look at your website are those other designers going to hire you no but they will traverse your website therefore your website will get more traffic therefore your website will begin to look a little bit more important to google and therefore you'll begin to start ranking a little bit higher in Google search engines. Uh, it's not the only way you rank higher in Google search. Um, but also, and probably more important than getting their traffic is, you may have these designers sharing your post and saying, hey, check this guy's workout. This guy does great stuff. Or look at this cool process that he shared or something like that. Um, it can be a great way to get your name out there, your business out there, get your website out into in front of other people without you spending money to advertise it. Spend what you have, time. Yeah, and... I don't know what portfolio website you're using, but one of my favorite websites is dribble.com, D-R-I-B-B-B. The triple L E. Triple B. You gotta have the third B. Dot com. And it basically allows you to upload your portfolios, or they call it shots, your final designs. And they have there's a few things you can do. They have a feature called rebound. So if you've designed something and maybe you've gotten some feedback or you just weren't happy with it, instead of deleting it and re-uploading it, you can post a rebound shot and it kind of links them together so people can see, well, you went from this and to that. And Dribble has like a built-in marketplace, not necessarily a marketplace, but like a hiring marketplace where companies like Apple and Google and Microsoft even smaller companies can go and view people's work and contact them directly and hire them. But Going back to what Nathaniel said, they don't really have like a, a way to put a whole list of 
uh, your development process. So build a website, well, like a separate I, Be- website. Behance. Behance has good stuff. And if you have Adobe, Behance, yes, if you have Creative does, Cloud, yeah. I believe Behance, you get a Behance account. Uh, with you do. Creative yes, Cloud. that's a good point. And and yeah. there's a lot of people who do really really cool stuff there. And you can even go and look and see what other people are doing for behind the scenes stuff. Um, and you know, I'm not saying copy it, but I kind of am saying copy it because if you copy the process but fill it with your own work, you'll probably get something that's pretty darn good um, and looks good and feels right because you've seen somebody else kind of do it before. And as you get more comfortable with it, you know, experiment on different, you know, trying different things. What does this look like? Hey, would this be cool if I include this little part of my process and just, you know, play with it and have fun and, and you know, share like you're a human being because you are a human being and you're sharing your stuff with other human beings. Yeah, Behance is a good idea, actually. And if you go to Behance right now and you you sort by, I don't, I haven't been there for a while, but I'm sure there's a way to sort by most popular. Yeah. I guarantee you that the 99% of the posts that are most popular show their development process. I guarantee you, it's not just one image. Yeah, a lot of them do. Yeah, and people love sharing that stuff. People love commenting on that stuff, and employers love seeing it. Yeah. So that's it. That'll pretty much wrap up, We Geeks. Episode that will do it. 14 and for, for the week. Callum, make sure to send me a tweet yes. or a Facebook message or whatever so I can get that $10 gift card out to you. I'm sorry it's not 25 but... But you didn't have you know, competition either, so that's... That's true. Right. And the struggle is real. If you do love our show and you want us to increase these gift cards over time, patreon.com slash wegeeks. And if you're a sponsor, if you're a company and you want to sponsor us... It'll probably have to be some sort of a relevant company, but send us a message at wegeekspodcast.com. There is a sponsorship form on the contact page. Of course, we're not going to accept everybody, um, but you know, if it's relevant and if if it makes sense to our viewers, then we'll definitely run with it, and it'll help support our show. Yeah. So that'll pretty much wrap it up for Wee Geeks episode fourteen. Thanks for listening, guys. And if you'd love this podcast, share it with your friends, leave us iTunes reviews, comment along on SoundCloud, and we will see you next week for another episode number 15. That's right, guys. Take it easy. Take care.